Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine, the show that has no co-host, just me. And this week, I will be talking about product placement in television shows and movies. It's a topic that seems to come up a lot, especially lately, since TV networks can't get anybody to watch their commercials. Everybody fast-forwards through them. So I thought I would talk a little bit about some personal experiences, uh, about how I got unfairly blasted for product placement, and uh, a little history and uh, just a little flavor and some anecdotes Again, people who tore into me and stuff like that. I don't know why these are the stories that I like to tell, but I do. So, product placement. It really started in television in the early days. And back in those days, TV was really run by the advertising agencies. It was Procter & Gamble who would decide what shows would get on the air. I mean, nowadays you have TV pilots and there's all kinds of research and everything else, and the network decides which shows will go on the air, and then they sell the advertising time. Well, back in the early days of television, back in the 50s, what they used to do is give the pilots to ad agencies and Procter and & Gamble and the various tobacco companies, whatever, would screen the pilots and they would decide which show they wanted to sponsor. And whatever show they wanted to sponsor got on the air. So the ad agencies and the sponsors had way more influence on the product than Congress eventually let them have. But back in those days, and again, this is the wild, wild west of television, you know, you would watch a game show and there would be a big Revlon sign that would be above the panelists. You would see an Anison sign on the podium where the host would sit. Uh, it made no difference that you were looking at Revlon for a half an hour. That did not uh, count as a quote-unquote commercial. But back then, and uh, I know a lot of you younger people are going to salivate when you hear this, back then there was only three minutes of commercials every half hour. Now you have something like... 12 <laughs> or 19 but back then it was just three one minute spots per half hour that was it you also had i think another minute or two of network promos but if you had a half hour show there was 26 minutes of content yes the good old days when the Ad agencies and the sponsors used to basically run these shows. They would get commercials within 
the body of the shows. And these were usually done during the tags. And the actors in character would suddenly lapse into a commercial. Uh, Burns and Allen would be talking about carnation milk. And I remember the Danny Thomas show was very popular. Danny Thomas was a comic, a big stand-up comic who got his own TV show back then, and it was kind of a family show. And the tag was always something like uh, Danny coming down for breakfast and his wife is saying, gee, you you look like you had a bad night's sleep. And he goes, yeah, I I really did. I don't know how I'm going to make it through the day. I've got so many things to do. And she says, you know what you need is Maxwell House coffee. It's good to the last drop. Here, try some. And then he takes a sip and he goes, wow, that that roasted flavor, that that body, that richness. Yes, Maxwell House coffee. Look at me. I can go and do a triathlon today. We'll see you next week for General Foods. Those were tags. So now if you want to flash forward to... Uh, the mid-70s, and Danny Thomas was in a new show called The Practice. And it's not the practice that you might remember from, uh, I think, like the 90s, uh, the uh, David Kelly show about uh, a law firm. No, this was about a crusty old doctor who lived and worked in New York, very much like Becker. And it starred Danny Thomas. So David and I got an assignment. David Isaacs, my writing partner. We got an assignment for that show, and it was produced by Paul Witt and Tony Thomas. You may have heard of Witt Thomas. They went on to do things like The Golden Girls, okay? And so very, very successful. And this was one of their early efforts. Tony Thomas was Danny Thomas's son. So... We did this script. By the way, it was created, and the head writer was a guy named Steve Gordon, who was a brilliant writer, and he went on to write and direct Arthur, the movie starring Dudley Moore. And unfortunately, Steve passed away way, way too young. Okay, getting back to our story. So we write a draft, and we decide to have an alternate tag in addition to the regular tag. And the alternate tag is the character that Danny plays, Dr. Bedford, goes down to the doctor's lounge one morning, and sure enough, uh, I had a really bad night's sleep, and his son said, well, you know what you need is Maxwell House coffee. Well, what are you talking about? It's coffee good to the last drop. And he takes a sip, and wow, it's full-bodied. It's full-roasted, whatever the hell the slogan was at the time. Yeah, this is really great coffee. Okay, I'm going to go perform an operation now. And we'll see you next week for Post Serials. Okay, so we turn in the script, and then we go and have a notes meeting with Tony Thomas. Tony did not love our draft. And we get to that final scene and he goes what the fuck is this what are you talking about where he's like drinking Maxwell House coffee what the fuck is this and we said well you know this is kind of an homage to your dad and you know the Danny Thomas show of the 50s 
What? What are you talking about? I said, well, you know how he always used to have those tags that incorporated the sponsor? Well, that's what we did here. <laughs> you know, you have the regular tag, but we also thought that you would enjoy this. Well, it's stupid. We can't use this. No, I, I know you can't use it. It's just a joke. It's just kind of for fun, for your amusement, sort of uh, our homage to your dad. Well, take it out. It's stupid. I don't know what the fuck it's there for. Okay, thank you. So uh, that tag never did see the light of day. By the way, just uh, just a, a note about that whole experience. So we got tons of notes from Tony Thomas. And then we go back home and we get a call the next day from Steve Gordon. And Steve says, uh, hi, yeah, I read your draft. And we thought, okay. You're going to give us notes, too? Uh, All right, fine, whatever. We already have a million notes, so lay them on us. And he goes, no, what are you talking about? And I said, well, we got all these notes from Tony. (laughs) This is probably uh, a page one rewrite. And he goes, no, what? Don't change a word. This was the best first draft we have. No, just leave it alone. So at least we were vindicated. And then I said to him, uh, hey, do you remember when Danny Thomas used to have Maxwell House? Yeah, sure. Those were really funny. And I loved your your tag. That was great. Okay. You would figure Tony Thomas's dad was the star of that show. So Tony Thomas had to see a lot of those episodes. Now, yeah, he was very little at the time. I'm sure he was like a kid. But still, you figure... He'd have to know about Maxwell House coffee. Guess he didn't. Like I said, Congress eventually put a stop to this. They said, you know, advertising agencies and sponsors should not control the creative input of television. Back in the days when Congress was looking out for you and me. So they put an end to that. And now, of course... Sponsors just buy in on shows, but they don't really own them or have any say in them. And networks set their schedules first and then sell advertising. And the process of selling advertising, it's a term you may have heard, upfronts. That's where upfronts come in when advertisers buy time on these shows upfront before the shows air in September. They buy these ads in May and June. Okay? Terrific. Now, Blazing Saddles uh, open up another whole world of product placement. Blazing Saddles, great movie by Mel Brooks. I'm sure you've seen it. And if you haven't, shame on you. Go see it right now. Just hit pause on this podcast and go off and watch Blazing Saddles. But at one point, they mention Raisinets. And the fine folks at Raisinets were so thrilled to get a product mention that they sent Mel Brooks boxes and boxes of Raisinets. And so this kind of began the whole idea of swag, where you mention a product and lo and behold, you get cartons of it. And I was kind of hoping when David and I wrote the episode of Cheers where 
the Eddie Lebeck character was killed by a Zamboni machine, we were kind of hoping that the company would send us a Zamboni machine, but they didn't. By the way, when we used Zamboni machine, we couldn't think of another name, any kind of a generic name other than the Zamboni machine. That's kind of how it is known. And uh, the legal department at Paramount said, you're never going to be able to get away with this. And we said, just send the Zamboni people the script. Let's see. Let them say no. And if they say no, then we'll punt and do something else. But at least let's take a shot. Well, not only did the Zamboni people love the idea of us using the name of their product, even though it was their product that kills one of our characters, but the head of the Zamboni company came out to watch the filming and gave us all T-shirts, Zamboni T-shirts. So they didn't mind. Now, I have to say, full disclosure, that I have received some blog swag. I have a blog, and I mentioned different products and things from time to time. I've been doing this thing for 13 years now. One time only have I received some swag, some merchandise from a product that I mentioned. That product, Astroglide, which is a, a feminine lubricant. And they sent me an Astroglide coffee thermos mug which I use proudly. And, of course, people look at it like, what the hell are you doing with that? Most shows on television were asked not to mention specific products by name because it always looked like a plug for the product. But when we were doing Cheers, we went to Grant Tinker, who was the head of NBC at the time, and we said, look... We have a real problem here. We want the show to be authentic. And when people go to a bar and order, they don't order generically. You know, they'll order Maker's Mark or Jim Beam, whatever. We said we need, and we're not going to do it very often, but from time to time we are going to need to say actual names of products. And God love him, Grant Tinker said, go ahead. And we did throughout the entire run of Cheers. We never got flagged for it by anybody. And we were very judicious in how often we did it. But still, we did it the entire run. And I do think it gives the show a little more authenticity and uh, a little more credibility. When Disney bought ABC, they had an edict that you are not allowed to mention the name of any product, any product. And I remember at the time I was consulting on a half-hour show for ABC called It's All Relative. I'm sure you remember that one, It's All Relative. And we had a character coming back in the middle of the night having just gotten something from the 7-Eleven. And the point was that the 7-Eleven was the only place that was open late enough for him to purchase whatever this item was. I don't remember. 
I've consulted on lots of episodes of lots of shows. But we couldn't say the 7-Eleven. And we couldn't say Circle K. We couldn't say any name of a 24-hour convenience store. Now, how do you have a character mention that he bought something at a 24-hour convenience store without it sounding completely ridiculous? That's not the way people talk. Add to that the fact that in comedy, the more specific you can be, the better. So to generically say, yeah, I just uh, came back from the 24-hour convenience store where I bought Tic Tacs, it just didn't cut it. So picture this room, seven or eight of us, and we're working for like a half an hour trying to come up with substitute names for 7-Eleven. And I remember just stopping at one point saying, this is ridiculous. We have seven highly paid television writers devoting a half an hour time to coming up with a bullshit name for 7-Eleven. But that was Disney. And I don't remember what it was we, we finally used. Now, here's a story about volunteers. And I talked about volunteers in an earlier episode, but I left this particular story out. We did research before we started the movie. We talked to some people. It was about a guy who goes off to the Peace Corps in 1962. And we talked to a lot of people who had been in the Peace Corps in 1962. This basically is kind of a holdover from what we used to do on MASH, where we would interview doctors and corpsmen and nurses and anyone associated with the Korean War. So we talked to some people and we got a great story from a girl who said that she was in Thailand, in the bushes somewhere, isolated for months. And eventually she went to some small village and there was a vending machine with Coca-Cola. And she bought a Coke and she described it as being the greatest moment of her time over in Thailand, that just the taste of the Coke, it just brought back memories of her youth, of the United States. It was comforting. It was delicious. It was refreshing. It was just this great moment that she described drinking a bottle of Coca-Cola. So we thought, okay, That's a great story. We'll put that in the movie, which we did. And if you saw Volunteers, you might remember that there's a scene where the Rita Wilson character, who is the gung-ho Peace Corps volunteer, finally, later in the movie, gets a chance to drink a Coca-Cola and has that same reaction. Just, oh, my God, this is almost orgasmic. This is just so great to drink a Coca-Cola. And basically what it shows is how all of the little things that we take for granted every day are magnified and really important. And you don't appreciate how good a Coca-Cola tastes. We did that not to sell Coca-Cola, but to sell that moment of homesickness and blah, blah, blah. 
Okay, so we wrote that in the very first draft of Volunteers, 1980. And as I mentioned in that previous episode, the movie went in and out of turnaround through a couple of studios, was at MGM at one time, and eventually in 1984, I believe, maybe 83, it wound up at TriStar HBO. And that scene stayed in the movie the entire time. Well, in June of 1982, Coca-Cola bought Columbia Pictures. And TriStar was an offshoot of Columbia Pictures. So Coca-Cola owned TriStar. We didn't know this at the time. This didn't seemed to make a difference to us in any way. No one, when we were developing the movie through TriStar, flagged it, made any kind of reference to it, questioned whether or not that was maybe a little shady in light of the fact that Coca-Cola owned the studio. So it sailed all the way through and made it into the final movie. Well, the shit we got as a result, we were accused of just pandering, of putting in this bullshit Coca-Cola scene just to sell (laughs) soda. Oh, man. And it's like, you know, it's bad enough that there were viewers that hated the movie. It's like, you're going to blast us for the Coca-Cola? It was not our fault, but... Oh, man, the grief we took for that scene. Coca-Cola then sold TriStar a few years later, and the movie has been seen on television years and years and years later, and no one ever brings that up anymore. But at the time, oh, man, we were just walking into a propeller. So the problem now is that people fast-forward through commercials, So it is that much harder for advertisers to get their product seen. What can they do to try to incorporate their product within the body of the show? There was a production company that came to us at one time and they wanted to basically marry creative types show creators and showrunners with various products and the various products would pay for part of the pilot. And so for the networks, it's like, well, hey, you don't have to spend $2 million to make this pilot. You only have to spend a million dollars because Home Depot is going to pay the rest. But here's the problem with that. Home Depot, let's use Home Depot as an example. Home Depot would say to us, we don't care what you do. We just want one scene in your show to be at Home Depot. So they're walking through Home Depot and there's our logo all over the place. And that's fine, except what if you write that script and you have that scene in Home Depot, and then you go and you watch a run-through and you realize, you know what? 
we don't need that scene in Home Depot. We should just cut that scene. Well, you can't. You can cut anything else, but you can't cut the Home Depot scene. And so we felt, no, this is basically a version of the 50s where we are being run by the product and not the other way around. So we said no, and a lot of people said no, and I think that particular company went out of business. One of the things that they can do now, which is really kind of insidious, is they can digitally put products, or anything for that matter, into scenes. So now... Hawkeye is sitting at the mess tent and all of a sudden in front of him can be that refreshing ice cold Coca-Cola. Well, not only is that dishonest, but also it then looks like Hawkeye is endorsing Coca-Cola. And Alan Alda would say, hey, You can't do that without my permission. And if I'm going to endorse Coca-Cola, then you got to pay me a shit ton of money. Or what if Alan Alda is the spokesperson for Pepsi? And now there he is with a Coke in front of him. So that's another thing that sponsors tried to get through, but that was blocked. Okay, so think about it. What are the shows that you watch in real time? Okay, what are the shows that you watch in real time? Not shows that are on your DVR that you can see at your convenience. Sporting events, right? Sporting events. So signage is really, really important. Okay, you're watching the Boston Red Sox and there is a giant sign for Hancock Insurance that you are looking at 4,000 times during the course of one game. So signage suddenly becomes very, very important and very, very lucrative for ball clubs. And if I'm not mistaken, a lot of golfers will wear merchandise from various sponsors, okay? I mean, you can't really do that in the NFL, okay? Everybody on the Rams has to wear the same uniform. But if you're a professional golfer, you can wear a Nike shirt, right? You can wear a a polo shirt, and that is what they do, especially on the weekends. Anytime you see a particular golfer, On Sunday's final round, there he is, all dressed up in Nike. And again, it's a way of getting around that. I will end with the most shameless, awful example of product placement that I've ever seen. And this was an early episode of the new Hawaii Five-0. And if you've been following my blog, you know that I hate the new Hawaii Five-0. 
I just think it's a complete horseshit show. And the one episode that finally got me to go, you know what? This isn't even fun to watch how bad this is. This is just painful. It was an episode, I believe the first season, maybe the second, where the two main guys go and meet with this big, heavy-set Samoan character. And it's been so long since I've seen the show, I don't even remember the, the names of these stupid people. Anyway, he goes to see him because he has information on some murder that they're investigating, whatever. Meanwhile, the guy is sitting at a picnic table eating a Subway sandwich, and there's a Subway bag, and he says to the guys, hey, oh, this Subway, really good. Here, try some. I have some extra Subway sandwiches, something like that. And so they, you know, stop their questioning about this brutal murder, and they like, hmm, wow, taking a couple of bites. Yeah, this is fantastic. This is, this is great. And boy, this bread is really fresh. Oh, all of the ingredients are fresh and they're open every night till 11. It was so terrible. My head was exploding. And that obviously was some kind of integrated thing that Subway had with Hawaii Five O. I'm sure somebody will remember that episode. And if you do... Email me, would you, at hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. Let me know what that episode was. Maybe I can flag it for a later episode and uh, play the soundbite of that shameless commercial. So that's a look at product placement. And I guess this is probably a good time to mention that I have a, a new website called KenLevinePlays.com and I am licensing and selling my plays. So uh, if you are a theater, uh, it is a good way to stock up on some comedy from a guy who wrote on Frasier and MASH and Cheers but that's an actual commercial that I just did there, okay? I didn't slip it into the volunteers section of the podcast. So that will do it. Our thanks to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler and to Howard Hoffman. If you want to get in touch with me, like I said, email address, hollywoodlevine at outlook.com, hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. Follow me on Twitter, at Ken Levine. I am on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. Uh, please subscribe to this podcast if you haven't. If you are new to the podcast, welcome. Glad to have you. Please go back and uh, check out some of the archives, and I will talk to you again next week. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.